built my first dollhouse the other day. And uh, yeah, I was surprised to hear that come out of my mouth as y'all were to hear it. Um, that was an emotionally draining experience. Uh, a friend of mine asked if I would build it for her daughter, and so I said, yeah, of course, was happy to do it. Um, and then I see this giant box delivered at my house with this itty-bitty box that said, estimated construction time, two hours. That was a lie from the pits of hell. All right? No. And I know because of the range of emotions that I experienced about three and a half hours into this project. At this point, I wasn't really even looking at the instructions anymore. I was just like picking up pieces and saying, okay, these go together. How do they fit? No, okay, next ones. Um, honestly, just the, as the night went on, I got to a point where I stopped looking at the instructions. I it just went to the garage. I grabbed some power tools and some hardware I had, and I, like, I made the thing work, uh, but the construction was iffy. Um, this is a picture of what it looked like in the end, just for my like, masculine pride here. It was masculine pride here, yeah. Uh, it was this, like, it's a big four-and-a-half-foot-tall dollhouse with admittedly questionable construction. But really, it's a couple of questions that I asked myself when I was made that. The questions that are circulated in my mind. Do these pieces fit? How do they fit? Uh, as the night went on, how much do I care? I'm not proud, but it's true. I asked that. And I think sometimes we can ask those same questions when we think about Christianity and science. Like we probably have asked some similar questions and felt similar emotions to what I experienced building that dollhouse. Emotions of feeling overwhelmed, maybe intimidated, and then looking at Christianity and science saying, hey, uh, do these pieces fit together? How do they fit? And sometimes, how much do I care? So time out, right? Time out. Because if I've lost you when I started talking about Christianity and science, I get it. It's not always the most riveting topic. Or maybe it's a topic that you're interested in, but you made up your mind a long time ago. Or maybe you haven't made up your mind, but you're really not sure how much you care. I get it. Here's why we should care. Because the claims that Christianity makes and the claims that science makes about our life, both big picture and our daily lives, are so significant that if they are true, then they matter a lot. So we have to be able to think about it. Just honestly stop and think, okay, all right, Christianity and science, do they fit together? How do they fit together? Um, also, I've talked to people, I've interacted with friends where people have this false impression that if you're going to follow Jesus and you go to a church, then like you leave your intellect at the door and then you pick it up on the way out. Um, some people have a false impression that faith or Christianity is anti-intellectual. That's not true. Uh, it's also not just an emotional crutch either. Uh, God calls us to have faith, yes, but he doesn't ask us to trust him blindly he calls us to have faith. He invites us to reason. He calls us to use our minds. And so today we're talking about how do Christianity and science fit together. And if we're going to do that, then we need to be on the same page with what we mean by Christianity and what we mean by science. So Christianity is the faith of someone who has chosen to follow Jesus. So this involves acknowledging God as creator, ourselves as sinners in need of rescue, and Jesus not just as a moral teacher, but also as our savior and as our king. And then science 
is the study of the structure and the behavior of the world around us. All right? So it's the study of the structure and the behavior of the world around us. Uh, science focuses on what can be measured, what can be proven, what can we learn through experiments, as well as what can we think about through theories. So how do those two things fit together? We often approach this with the false impression that Christianity and science are in competition with each other. Um, I understand how we've gotten there, but that's actually not the case. Christianity and science complement each other. Christianity and science complement each other by addressing different aspects of similar questions. Science, for example, often focuses on the what and the how of the world we live in. Right? So sometimes the why, but it's a mechanical why. Like if I take my phone and I drop it, science says, gravity says, the phone will fall. But it doesn't address moral or deeper reasons. And I'm going to very crudely show this to you, and I'm going to apologize in advance. But let's say we take a very, very cute uh, five-pound puppy named Frankie. And we take Frankie and we put him here on the stage. And somebody comes up from the audience, not me, somebody comes up, yeah, and just right now every animal lover hates me and wants to shoot me, and I understand, I have a dog, I would never do this, this is imaginary Frankie, so chill. See, science would help us calculate Frankie's velocity, his acceleration, the force of gravity, his trajectory. Science is very helpful. Uh, It would not address the collective gasp and the horror that some of y'all felt when you pictured me kicking a puppy. Science doesn't have anything to do with morals. It doesn't address a deeper heart level why. But it does help us look at some of the what and the how of the physical universe around us. Christianity speaks to some of the deeper whys of the universe. Like the concept of sin and us needing rescue and a sense of right and wrong and worship. Christianity and science are not in competition with each other, but they do address different aspects of similar questions. Um, Again, I know I'm oversimplifying this, but this is a way for us to think about it. Science focuses on the what and the how. Christianity focuses on the why. But historically, Christianity and science have complemented each other and even spurred each other on. Many scientific discoveries that we're familiar with were made by Christians who worshipped God, and then their discoveries and what they were able to learn actually furthered their knowledge and their appreciation for God. Um, If you had a physics class in high school, you've heard of Sir Isaac Newton. I mean, this was a Christian who loved and worshipped God, and we get Newton's laws of motion. Maybe you remember biology class, uh, Gregor Mendel, the father of modern genetics. I mean, he was a priest. Or what about lasers? I like lasers. Um, Not really as cool as Star Wars, but all right, whatever, there's lasers. Uh, they were invented by Charles Towns, who up until his passing was a devout believer and follower of Jesus. Like, I could list lots of scientists and scientific discoveries. You'd be like, oh yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's not as if scientists and Christianity are incompatible. Uh, in fact, um, there was a 2009 survey done by the Pew Research Center that revealed that in the United States, uh, 51% of scientists, so think like physicists, geologists, metrologists, Um, scientists, 51% believed in God or a higher power. So not necessarily agreeing with everything I would say about God, but it's not intellectually silly to believe in God or a higher power. So I don't want us to operate under this false impression that Christianity and science are incompatible based on what we might have heard or we thought somebody say about it. Um, That's not true. For the sake of time, we also can't go into detail about every scientific argument. So We can't talk about, in detail, the fine-tuning of the universe, the ideas of macro or microevolution, or the age of the Earth itself. 
So we're going to stay at a 30,000 foot view. I want to acknowledge that. But I also want to say I'm happy to have those conversations with you after, happy to connect you to resources. We're not scared of those conversations just for the sake of time. We can't have them all right now. So pivoting a little bit here. Somebody watch The Big Bang Theory? Uh, like a couple of you are looking at me like you want to say yes, but you're scared to say it. It's just, okay, look, I've watched the whole thing through twice. We're good. Okay, I promise. I love that show. Uh, but it's not what I heard about in school. I did grow up hearing about The Big Bang Theory. Uh, the Big Bang Theory is this popular, commonly but not definitively accepted theory that the universe had a physical origin that started with a Big Bang with light and then an expansion. Now, frankly, scientists cannot actually definitively measure or experimentally prove this. Now, what scientists can do is can prove that there was an origin of the universe, right? So there is not a physical universe suitable for life. And then there is energy, so light, and time involved, and then over time, with energy spent, the universe began to expand. We do know that. Science can agree on that. Some of the how, some of the why, no, but we know that that happened. That actually lines up exactly with what we can read in the book of Genesis. Uh, if you've been with us in our Ridge Reading Challenge, by the way, uh, we interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to shamelessly promote the Ridge Reading Challenge. Uh, so we would love to have you join us. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pivoting here. Uh, we would love to have you join us in our Ridge Reading Challenge. We're going through the Old Testament as a church and just as a community. We've got a Facebook group, Ridge Reading Challenge. Um, you can join us through the app, fill out a comm card. We'd love to get you connected. Uh, but we've been going through the book of Genesis. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we actually see what science has been able to definitively prove. So in Genesis 1, we read this verse. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said... Let there be light, and there was light. But what we see is we see a universe that is not suitable for life. It talks about deep waters. I don't know if those are literal. I think that actually is talking about the space-time of the universe. So formless, empty, space exists in some capacity. The concept of time is there. No universe suitable for life. And then God says, let there be light. Maybe there's an explosion, maybe not. I don't know. But then light and energy um, happens. And then the universe begins to expand and then even stretch over time. Um, this lines up exactly with what we see in Genesis. Now, science might explain some of the what or the how. Science doesn't even agree with itself always, but some of the what and the how. But it doesn't contradict what we see here. In fact, sometimes actually it's playing catch up. Uh, over the last 80 years, modern science has focused on the idea of our universe expanding over time. So our universe is not static. It's not as if there is a universe here it is, and everything inside the box is our universe, and that's it. Actually, what's happened is over time, uh, the universe has expanded and is continuing to expand, right? It's being stretched out, if you will. This is actually catching up to an idea thousands of years old that we see in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 42.5, says this, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. In the book of Job, there's a reference to it as well. This idea that maybe God is stretching out the universe, I don't believe science, even modern science, even ideas of a physical origin of the universe contradict Christianity. I believe it supports it. I believe it complements it. And in times, it's even playing catch up to it. Okay, but wait. Because you're like, you, you, you picked an example. You got to pick the one you talked about. What about, and we can fill in the blank. Okay, that's fair. Because I don't know what argument you have in your mind right now. And this is going to get a little bit messy, because I just want to go ahead and acknowledge the fact that I believe Christianity complements science, science complements Christianity, 
but not all scientists agree about everything, and not all Christians agree about everything. Um, so the truth is, you will find some claims made by some scientists that definitely don't fit with Christianity. What I would say with confidence is what science has been able to definitively measure and prove and replicate and experiment and demonstrate, no, that lines up with Christianity. We're happy to have conversations, happy to connect you to resources, um, but it's not something I'm worried about, it's not something I'm concerned with. Uh, but I do want to acknowledge, hey, not all scientists will agree with Christianity, but what science can definitively show, measure, and prove, that does, that complements, that fits. Um, Here's something that's really important for us to understand. Christianity and science are not in competition with each other, and we can and we should learn truth from both. The philosopher Thomas Aquinas once said that all truth is God's truth. So that means we have God right here, and we have truth down here, right? So this would be the truth that we learn from the natural world, this stuff we learn from science, I mean, what we can learn from philosophy, what we can learn from history. All of truth belongs to God and can ultimately point towards God. God is not threatened or insecure about anything that is true that we can find, right? It's not like scientists are going to someday make a discovery and be like, oh, hey, we just discovered this. And God's going to be like, oh, no, I didn't think of that. Like, no, no, no. All truth is God's truth. It belongs to God. He's not threatened. He's not surprised. Um, right down in front of me, there's a, a wood railing. And if you were to take it, you were to look at it, you were to poke it, be like, okay, this is wood. Or you could, like, take, you could cut it up with a hatchet. And then, yeah, you'd get splintered, but you'd say, hey, this is wood. Um, careful examination of truth doesn't change what's true. God is not threatened by, God is not insecure about, and we do not need to be threatened by or insecure about what is true. I believe Christianity supports uh, what God has said and what God has done. I believe science points towards what God has said and God has done. All truth is God's truth, and it belongs to him. So we shouldn't be and we should not feel threatened by what we can learn. But what we do with what we learn, that can be a good thing that becomes a great thing. Here's what I want us to do with what we learn about the world around us. Let creation fuel worship for our creator. Let science, the study of the world around us, let everything we learn about creation fuel worship for the creator. See, we were made to worship God. He put it in our hearts, he put it in our minds, we were made to worship him. And worship is, like, we sing worship songs on Sunday mornings, and that's great. But worship is more, and it's deeper than that. Worship is our response to who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing. And it can be through lyrics and songs, and it can be through emotions, but it's not limited to emotions. It's also something that we do with our minds as well. Um, in Mark twelve thirty, Jesus was asked, out of all the commandments the Israelites followed, which one was the most important? And here's what Jesus said. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people, right? And that's true, love God and love people. But Jesus was actually a little bit more specific there. He instructed us to love God with all of our minds and all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our soul. Based on how you're wired, what your past experiences are, we might naturally gravitate towards one of these more than the others, but we're called to worship and to love God with all of them. So that means we're supposed to love God with our minds. And what we can learn through science and the world around us can help us do that. 
So if we're going to let creation fuel our worship for the creator, if we're going to choose to love God with our minds, how? Here's how. First, be curious. All right? Just be curious. Ask questions about the world around us. When you find something that catches your interest or piques your curiosity, study it. And then allow what you learn to point you back to the creator. Earlier, we talked a little bit about physics. We talked a little bit about the physical origin of the universe, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you're particularly mad at me because you're an animal lover. Like, I get it. Fair. Uh, Honestly, so am I. Allow the fact that God created animals to pique your interest in him. Like, my favorite animal is an otter, okay? I love otters. They are playful. They're fun. They're intelligent. I had a chance to play with some a few months ago at an undisclosed location in Indiana, because it's legal to own otters here. It's awesome. Uh, They're expensive. I can't. I tried. But you can play with them. Uh, And I played with otters, and they stole my cell phone. Like, it was an awesome experience. I loved it. Uh, Did you know that otters actually sleep in the water, and they float? And then they hold hands while they sleep? Like, they are clingy. I love it. It's awesome. God didn't have to make otters. I don't know how he did it, but he chose to make otters. That's awesome. I'm able to appreciate and just uh, admire God's creativity just a little bit more when I think about otters and what he did and what he made. So whatever it is that you're naturally interested in or you're curious about, hey, study it. Be curious. And then let it point you back to God. What about scripture, right? This is a church. We're going to talk about it. Study scripture. This can be a way that we choose to love God with our minds. And sometimes we study things because we naturally gravitate towards them like otters. But sometimes we intentionally move towards things. And both can be ways that we choose to love God with our minds. I'm going to level with you. I don't just wake up every morning, jump out of bed, and say, hey, great, now it's time to read my Bible. Like, I I don't do that. I want to. I, I value it. But it's also something that I do out of discipline and something that I do is like, hey, God, I want to love you with my mind. And so I don't just want to read it, but I also want to study Scripture. So that means read it, but then when you have questions, then dig in and press and and ask those questions. Um, I've got a master's degree in this stuff, and there's still stuff I read all the time. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means. I need to look this up. So there's no shame in it, but study. Uh, When you have questions, then go to resources. Um, For me, two that I go to all the time is one's called Sonic Light Bible Commentary. It's online. It's free. You can just Google it, Sonic Light Bible Commentary. And it helps you understand what Scripture is saying, maybe if a passage is complex or confusing. Or gotquestions.org is a fantastic free online resource that addresses really big picture things of faith, uh, even stuff with faith and science, if you're curious. They've got great resources there. But here's the deal. When we choose to love God with our minds, that does not always include an emotional response. Um, we can respond to God emotionally. That's awesome. But sometimes we can do things like studying scripture that may or may not elicit an emotional response that is still worship. So let's say you're taking your time, you take 10 minutes, you study scripture, and then you leave and you don't necessarily feel closer to God. That's okay. Because what you just did is you gave God your mental energy and your time and your mind and you chose to worship him that way. That's great. Do that. So we want to be curious. We want to study scripture. And also, as we think about loving God with our minds, I also want us to stay humble. You and I are human. We have limits. So neither you nor I can or will 
understand or learn everything. The universe is too big for that. Our creator is bigger than us. That's okay. So let's not place an unrealistic expectation that for us to say we have faith in something, we have to have everything figured out, because we don't. Um, there are mysteries of our creator and his creation that will always be beyond me, and I'm actually grateful for that. Like, I don't want to worship a God that I am smarter than or intellectually bigger than. That he wouldn't be God. Like, I want to worship a God that is big and majestic and beyond my ability to figure out completely, but also that I can intellectually and rationally pursue. So be curious, study, but then also let's stay humble as we think about it. Sometimes creation can keep us humble. Uh, about a year ago, I had the chance to take a trip with my brother to the Grand Canyon. Uh, this is a picture of me and my brother Ross, and this is one of the best days of my life. Um, but it almost didn't happen, because I love water, I like sports, but I'm not the most outdoorsy person. So even though I lived in Arizona for years, I was just content to see the Grand Canyon through my friend's Instagrams. And like, I didn't need to go. But I had a chance to go with my brother, and we had a blast. And so we drive to the Grand Canyon, we go up to the rim, and we look, and it's just majestic. I mean, it's hard to adequately describe. My photography is not the best, but it's just like, wow. This feels, it's not, but it feels infinite and impressive. And then we started to hike into it, and then something called a thundersnow happened. And that's a thunderstorm where instead of rain, there's snow. So we're going down into the Grand Canyon with snow and thunder and lightning all around. Like, I'm the idiot who was wearing slip-on sketchers, so that was a horrible idea. Uh, but as we go down, it's just like, I feel small. And I loved it. Like, it felt good to feel small and feel humbled by something so big and so majestic. It's like, wow, my God made this. I don't know how he made it. Maybe he used the Colorado River over time. Maybe he did it all at once. I don't know. Respectfully, I don't care. Like, my God made this, and it's beautiful. And just being there was a chance where creation helped me worship my creator. Like, yeah, God made this. This is something special. Have you ever looked up at the night sky and just thought, yeah, that's, that's something else. That's, that's something special. That's pretty. See, I'm only recently learning how little I have properly appreciated the sky. Um, there's actually so much that we can't see and that I forget to think about. In our exploration of the universe, the Hubble telescope took this picture. We've got the moon, got some light. What I want us to actually draw our attention to is that little black box down there. A friend of mine pointed this out, and I don't think I would have properly appreciated it without, without his help but you don't see any light in that little box. But then when the Hubble telescope zooms in on that little box, that extra dark field, this is what we get. We get this. So we couldn't even see it. We get this. And you see those lights? Those aren't stars. Those are each actually individual galaxies with over 100 million stars in each of them. Our universe and the world around us is so much bigger than we can stop and think about most of the time. And the God who made all of that loves you and cares about you specifically. Cares about me specifically. That's humbling. 
But as we think about the skies and the tapestry and what God has made, we can allow that to stir admiration and worship and awe for our Creator. We're not the first to do this. Uh, David, in the book of Psalms, talked about how the world around us reflects God's glory. Here's what he said in Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The skies and all of creation is pointing towards God and worshiping him. Our hearts should be responding to God and worshiping him. And creation helps us to do that. Science and what we can learn about the universe around us helps us better understand and appreciate what God has done and is doing. The skies proclaim God's glory. The Grand Canyon is just a little picture of his majesty. The northern lights, they show some of God's beauty. The laws of physics and mathematics, but also just the cute little fact that otters hold hands while they sleep. Like all of creation, big and small, reflects the creator and can point us towards him. We want to love God with our minds, right? So we can see a sunset and think, hey, that's really pretty. And that's true, but it can be. But also, if we're willing to take the time and the work to go a little bit deeper, we can also think about the fact that the light, that the energy that we are seeing in a sunset could be calculated with thousands of mathematical equations. There is a precision to the universe around us. Or the fact that the human eye, which allows us to see a sunset, is so incredibly complex. And it allows us not just to function, but to appreciate beauty. God has made an incredible universe. What God created helps us worship him. So however you're wired, whatever your experience has been, whatever you think naturally about Christianity and science, know that they complement each other and both actually help us worship God more fully. Let creation fuel our worship for the creator. I'd like to pray for us. God, we sit here in awe of you. What you have done, what you have made, is beyond our ability to fully figure out. You have made and expanded and stretched out a universe that is incredible and massive, and it points towards your glory, God. And we don't have it fully figured out, but we want to say that what you did is good, and it's beautiful, and it's impressive. And God, just as creation points towards you in worship, we want to do the same. Help us to love you not just emotionally but with our minds to understand more and more of you over time but also to simply sit and worship you and know that we can't have you figured out all the way either. We trust you but grow our trust, grow our appreciation for you and for what you've done. For the Grand Canyon, for the mountains, for the oceans, for the complex, beautiful world that you have built and created, God, we are grateful, we are humbled and we choose to worship you. Because of who you are and what you've done, God, we worship you. Amen.